Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. Today, Pastor Fisher reminds us to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the only true answer and love for all of us. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. Good morning. Good to see everybody today. Welcome in the name of the Lord. Uh, we need to have the young people join the choir more often, don't we? Yes. <laughs> you guys sounded great. Well, this is a special day in the life of the church. We are really pleased to be able to welcome three new members into our life today as the confirmation class comes to graduate. And just like high school, when you graduate high school, it doesn't really mean you're done, right? It means you're launching into the next part of your life. The same thing is true for confirmation. That you've finished a, a, a course of training to launch you into um, young adult and hopefully adult faith and life. So keep that in mind as you go forward from here that this is commencement. You commence from here to walk a, a new walk of faith commitment based on your own faith. So let's bow in prayer. We're going to consider uh, this a little bit in light of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Lord, thank you for this time to be together as your people, gathered as your holy temple to worship you. We pray that you fill us today with your grace in every way, Lord. Father, we thank you for these three young ladies who come today to be confirmed. And we ask you to bless them richly with all the riches of heaven, the power of your Holy Spirit, your truth and grace that's in you, Jesus. They might come to know you fully as the way and, and walk with you more and more in your light and grace throughout all their lives and that the blessings you pour upon them would flow through and out of them to many others. We thank you, Lord, that you have overcome and through you we can overcome. So open up our hearts and minds to your word today and strengthen us with your spirit. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, in recognition of confirmation today, we're looking again at the instructions Paul gave for godly Christian parenting. Uh, we were in Ephesians 4, uh, 6, 1 to 4 last week, and we spent some time there looking at that, uh, how children should interact with their parents and parents, how they should treat their children, including that phrase, don't exasperate your children, parents. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, we focused on the first half of the verse last week, the whole exasperation bit. I think I um, ground that into the ground, so we're not going to focus on that today, um, that negative don't exasperate. This week we're going to continue in the second half, the positive, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This teaching really follows ancient Israel's tradition of instructing their children in the faith. Recorded in Deuteronomy 6, 1-9, and, and you heard Gene read that passage. I'll just read a little bit again. These commands are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The difference is Paul's talking about the new covenant here. 
not the old covenant under Moses, bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord Jesus, who's really the completion of the old covenant given to Moses. It's a shorthand way of saying, fathers, mothers, disciple your children. I just want you to hear that. Fathers, mothers, disciple your children. It's really this simple. You fathers and mothers who follow Jesus, teach your children to trust and follow Jesus. That's it. I could quit there, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I want you to notice something from a 2015 Pew survey of religion in the United States. The survey found that most people who were raised in a single religion, either by two parents of the same faith or by a single parent, retain that religion. Roughly 8 in 10 of those raised Protestant were still Protestant. About 6 in 10 of those raised Catholic were still Catholic. And an identical proportion of those raised with no religious affiliation were still unaffiliated. 62%, that was the percent for Catholic. Uh, much more flux among roughly 1 in 5 U.S. adults who were raised in interfaith households. Among those raised by two people, one of whom was Protestant and the other unaffiliated, the Protestant identity proved to be stickier. 56% identified as Protestant, 34% unaffiliated, 3% Catholic, 7% belonging to other religions. What's, what, what do we see from that is the impact of parents' faith on their children. This is an interview of children years later. What was your parents' faith? What's yours today? So and looking back, the Im your impact on your children's faith, especially if two of you are working together in the house, or one of you is by yourself, but you're doing the work, it's, you're passing on your faith to your kids in, in most cases. Jesus gave us a summary of our work of disciple-making in, in the Great Commission. And when it applies to children, think about it like this. The Proverb 22.6 says, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they're old, they'll not turn from it. Now, I, I like that proverb because partly it captures that in-between time. A lot of times we hear the faith when we're little. We don't necessarily hold to it some in some in-between years. But the truth of it haunts us, and many of us come back to the Lord when we're older. Anybody identify with that in here? You don't have to raise your hand. But you think about it. You think about our faith walk and how as kids we're there going to church because our parents told us we had to. And then we get out of the time when we are um, under that authority. We're away at college. We're doing our own thing, and we're stretching our wings. We're putting aside some of those childhood commands. We stop going to church. But the presence and existence of God haunts us. We can't let Him go. Or maybe if we knew what was going on, He hasn't let us go. And He keeps hounding us until we come back to Him on our own terms. When they're old, they'll not turn from it. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We make disciples by teaching them the good news of reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. The first step of reconciliation 
It's baptism. Repentance and baptism. That's what Peter commanded those who believed when he preached that first sermon on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So this is a timeless promise for the human race. Peter said it to a group of Jewish people gathered there in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And he said, this promise is for you. It's for your children. And it's for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call down. That's including us. You're in the Bible. God calling you to put your faith in Him. And I want you to notice the order in Peter's sermon. Repent. Be baptized. Forgiveness will come. And then the gift of the Holy Spirit. In repentance, we turn away from our sins, confessing and renouncing them. It's really changing our mind, looking at a past where we did our own thing and believed our own stuff and surrendered to no one but us or maybe by force to some other person on the earth, but not yet surrendered to God. Repentance means surrendering, turning away, changing our mind about what we're going to do, what we're going to believe, who we're going to trust. Through baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, those sins are washed away and we're forgiven. Baptism is that sacred sign that we are included in Christ's saving work. It's much like Holy Communion. So today, as we take Holy Communion, we're going to be remembering our baptism. And we have the uh, baptismal font out here in the middle of the sanctuary for that reason. Now, each of these young ladies has been baptized earlier in life, some when they were very little, uh, one of them when she was old enough to at least remember it. But grasping what it means is a different matter. You know, in our tradition, we accept infant baptism as sufficient. We believe in one faith, one baptism, one Lord. But we believe you have to own the meaning of that baptism if you didn't quite know what was going on when it was done for you. Our model in this is John Wesley, who was baptized as a little baby in the Anglican church. And he went through his time of trying to please God like he was under the old covenant. And then when he got to uh, that point in his life, when he was in his 20s or 30s, and he finally got that Jesus died for his sins, that he could not earn his salvation, he did not have to earn his salvation, that he could just be forgiven by trusting Jesus. He was born again. His heart was rekindled in Christ. And he became the on-fire preacher as one of the heads of that great revival that swept England and America and has birthed all these Methodist movements even down to this day. He never got rebaptized, And he said baptism is suitable. It's a sign that those children are included in the saving work that Jesus has done. He remembered his own baptism and owned it for himself. And so... We believe in our Methodist tradition that it's okay if you were baptized as an infant and you didn't know what was going on, but at some point you need to know what was going on in the sense that you want to belong to what Jesus has done and own that for yourself. And so we have an opportunity to remember your baptism again today. We'll ask the confirmants to remember their baptism. We'll ask if they own it for themselves. And then we'll sprinkle water on them, not as a rebaptism, but as a sign 
of remembrance that they've been baptized. And we invite you to do the same thing. It may feel a little bit like you're in a Roman Catholic church this morning. Don't they do that with the holy water when they come in? <laughs> but that's okay, right? The symbol precedes the existence of the Roman Catholic church to remember our baptism, to, to have that water. And so we invite you to dip your hand in the water today and put it on your forehead. You can sign your heart or your forehead with, with the cross, however you like to do it. Just rain some on your head, remembering that you've been sprinkled in the Spirit and forgiven because of Jesus' work. And that's really what baptism means. Baptism is a sign of being initiated into Christ's saving work. It's much like Holy Communion. And so when we take it together with Holy Communion and both things, we're remembering his body and blood given for us. The Holy Communion is the ongoing remembrance of it. Baptism is the sign of wanting to be initiated into it, to belong to it, to be part of what he's done, to belong to him, to be his. Romans 6.3 says, All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We're therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Through baptism, our sinful nature is somehow mysteriously dealt with, killed. Through faith in Christ, we receive a new nature born from above, fitted to become like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so Scripture promises whoever believes Jesus promises, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, I remember reading the account of uh, Rosario Butterfield and her autobiography of her conversion experience, The Unlikely Thoughts of a Secret Convert. And she describes having walked away from God as a, a, a teenager, walking away from the God and from her religion, her Roman Catholic faith and living her own life in rebellion against everything that had to do with that. And at some point, uh, a, a, a Christian pastor and his wife began to love her and talk to her about her faith and then just invite her to re-engage Jesus and find out who he was for herself. And the pastor challenged her to remember her baptism, what it signified, what did it mean, she had never renounced it. What did it mean to live into it? And as she studied the Scripture for herself and realized that in them she was finding the Lord of truth, the Lord of heaven and earth, she came to the utter conviction that she could not deny He was the Messiah and that had He had a right to her, to her obedience, to her surrender, to her devotion, to her allegiance. And when she surrendered to him and surrendered her old life and gave it up and surrendered to him to follow him, she became a completely new person, owning her baptism for herself, living into what Jesus had done for her. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. That cleansing and forgiveness makes room for that great gift of the Holy Spirit. God's presence and power come to live within us. And I want to just say that, and girls... Gabby, Katie, Eva, I just want to say this. The Christian life is not meant to be lived on your own without the help of the Holy Spirit. You, you, you can't do it. 
You can't live a godly life without God within you to help you do it. And He is willing to give Himself to you in that sense. And that's why when Peter preached that Gospel message, he said, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the promise of the Holy Spirit that God has given, that He's promised to give. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The normal Christian life is meant to be lived in the power of the Spirit, not otherwise. Now, there's a difference in, in this sense in, in Christ, between Christianity and the other religions of the world. Christianity, the other religions teach you a set of principles, ideas, concepts. And you can accept those concepts regardless of the person who brought them into the world. Buddha brought in a series of teachings, the Eightfold Path of Enlightenment. And you could name Buddha anything you like, and never mind even him as a person, but the teaching is what Buddhism is all about at least from him as the original founder. So if you just put his statements into practice, you could be a Buddhist. Same thing with Muhammad. Muhammad said he came as a prophet and he gave this, these five things you had to do to go to heaven. And if you just put those five things into practice, you're supposed to have the guarantee of going to heaven. Man-made rules supposedly connecting you to the eternal. But there's something different about Christianity. It's about the person of Jesus. It's about knowing him actually having a relationship with him. He said to his disciples, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can't do anything without me. What he meant is you can't live this Christian life. You can't be a disciple. You can't come up with the righteousness of God out of your own strength unless you're connected to Jesus. And when you're connected to him, the Holy Spirit is given to you. The things that would stand between you and God, sins that you pile up and, and all of us sin, all of us do things that are against the love of God. In Christ, they can be taken out of the way. We can be washed clean. We get the opportunity to change our mind and not be frozen and stuck in them anymore. And so God calls us all, each day really, to repent. To believe again and get reconnected to Jesus. Because in Him, all things are possible. You can overcome anything and everything that God puts in your path or that the devil puts in your path. Because believe me, he'll try to trip you up. But in Christ, you can overcome. Jesus said you're going to have trouble in the world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Yes, that's right. So put your faith in him. This is what confirmation is all about. Trusting in Jesus. And then he gives you power to live the best life. The power of his own Holy Spirit. So that's why Christianity is different from any other religion. It's not just another set of teaching. It's the invitation to a relationship. A walk with God through His Son. Where you get all three. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the gate into the wonder of all that. And there's a huge mystery in it. I won't pretend to try to communicate all that to you today. But you get that when you get Jesus. And you get life. He said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. You know, the world and the devil try to tempt you and think you're going to get a better life if you'll just go away from God and try it the devil's way. But really, that turns out to be a lie. And those of us who wallowed in sin for a while, we know it's a straight out lie. That God has true life for you. And that he wants you to trust him because he has your very, very, very best. Your long-term interest. Your eternal interest in mind. And you get to share that. Love now 
as you walk with Jesus. So Jesus commands us first to baptize disciples, then to teach them to obey everything he commanded, which means walking in him, walking in his love. Peter said, this promise of salvation is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Paul explains what Christian parents are to do to bring that promise into their children's lives. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I want you to think about that with confirmation. We've done our part as a church to pass on the faith to these young people at this age. Traditionally, we've said when you hit the age of about 12, you know the difference between right and wrong. You can tell when your conscience is telling you that that was not right. You are old enough to discern and therefore old enough to take responsibility for your sin and repent. Old enough to put faith in Jesus. Old enough to understand forgiveness. And so at this age, we confirm children. We understand that this is not the be all and end all. Like I said, it's not you're done. It's commitment, commencement. We commend you to commence into the the next steps of your faith. Stick close to Jesus and your life will be the best it can be. And so to paraphrase or rephrase Deuteronomy 6 just a little bit, impress the gospel on your children. Talk about it when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie it as a symbol on your hand and bind it on your foreheads into your minds. Into write it on the door frames of your hearts, on the entryway to your souls. This charge is not just for you confirmands, but for all of us. And to realize that we still, we parents who have children, our work of bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord may not be done. In fact, you might be a grandparent where now it's falling on you to pass that on, where you have the right and ability to open door to sow seeds of the gospel into that generation. And so this is our charge and also an invitation. Today, as we come to confirmation, we're going to have Holy Communion immediately after they're confirmed. And we're going to invite all of us to remember our baptism again and own it for ourselves to say once more to renew our baptismal vows of commitment to the Lord, surrender to Him, trust in Him, and walking with Him to work His will, to bless the church, to be a blessing to the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. Let God's Word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. Igniting Your Faith is copyrighted and published by Dr. Chris Fisher and First Church, Schuylkill Haven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher, this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org.
We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.